Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Bella. I'm Monsuda. And today we are going to talk about being intimidated. By metamors. Yeah. Before we do, yes. you're post-surgery. I am. We are, I don't even know what day it is or where I am. We're almost two weeks out. Almost two weeks post-op. And I'm feeling pretty good. I'm basically losing about a pound a day, just under a pound a day. Uh, I really didn't have any pain. I was on pain meds in the hospital, which... Happened to be a morphine drip, so that was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> but other than, like, gas pains, and I say gas pains, but I'm talking about the gas that, like, they fill your abdominal cavity up with while they're doing surgery. They sit, the, the pain sits, like, below your rib cage and below your sternum, and it's just an awful sort of uncomfort level. But that went away really quick. Like, you get up and you walk and you burp it out and... That was really easy and pain-free, and a lot of people have some serious nausea that comes along with surgery and post-anesthesia kind of stuff, and I wasn't nauseous at all. I'm feeling pretty good. All of my... I have seven incisions, and they're a little bit itchy. They're all the, like, starey strips and band-aids and stuff have pretty much come off of them, and they're healing really well, and there's no bruising or anything. They're just a little itchy from all the internal healing right now. Yeah been a pretty interesting journey so far and you've done amazing thanks all right anyway (laughs) just a little bella update to our discussion yes so when we're talking about intimidating metas we're not just talking about an intentional you're coming in to date my partner and i'm going to intimidate the crap out of you This could be an unintentional thing. This could be you intimidating someone else. We're just talking about how meeting metas in any way, shape, and form can be intimidating on all sides. Right. And actually, I think that we want to, for this discussion, not really focus on intentional intimidation. Right. Because, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. But when we're thinking about polyamory and our journey and, you know, all of these experiences... Something that often happens, which I don't feel quite gets talked about enough, is being intimidated by a potential metamor. And it's not so much that the metamor is bullying a person around, but your perception of this other person you've not yet met, but whom your partner has fallen for in some capacity, creates a feeling inside of you where suddenly you're starting to think, oh, this person's better than me, or I'm not going to measure up. So this is kind of the intimidation that we're going to be talking about today. Right. And it, again, is totally unintentional at times because you are the one doing the comparison in your head. Right. You're the one putting it out there that this person is better than you in some way. That person, the meta, is just living their life, doing their thing, falling for a person, and you've created these difficult feelings and emotions. 
And now, I mean, our default reaction to those difficult feelings is to turn away from the discomfort, make it stop, ignore it. But I mean, really, this intimidation and the insecurity that's maybe building the comparison and intimidation can really give us a chance to face it and grow, figure out where it's coming from. Right. And I think in order to be able to do that, we need to acknowledge where it is coming from. You mentioned comparison and insecurity both. Mm -hmm. So if we dug down, because we like to dig down to the root of this, the insecurity is some kind of fear. Of, Of course. Not fear that they're going to come and beat you up or, you know, but just a fear that you don't measure up and you don't measure up because you're making these comparisons. Right. And these comparisons are all in your brain. You're the one thinking, oh, I'm I'm not going to be as good at this or they're going to be better looking. Well, and oftentimes like your partner will come home from a date, right? Mm. And they're going to tell you all the good, loving, mushy things if you've got that kind of a relationship. So in your head, you then start to compare yourself at like your normal every day-to-day self with this best version that you're hearing of this other person. Whether it's on social media, people post their best selves on social media, whether it's the stories that your partner's telling you mm-hmm. because they're all mushy and gushy about it. It's like, oh my God, this person's amazing and beautiful and fantastic in all these ways. You find yourself comparing, well, I'm just average Joe. Here I am laying around in my sweats all day because I don't have a job right now. <laughs> you know, like right. you compare your average self to this pedestal, amazing, perfect person that you think they are. That's a comparison that doesn't work in the sense that what you're talking about is like with our relationship, say we've gotten past the NRE phase, the new relationship energy phase, and we're, for lack of a better term right now, running the autopilot phase, right? We come home, we know the other one's going to be there, we're going to talk about our day, we're going to do chores or pay bills or we're going to do normal life stuff. Mm -hmm. So post NRE. And then your partner goes on a date with someone and they're flying high on the NRE and they're seeing, you know, you're making a good impression. So you're going to put out your best face forward. And that's usually what happens in a lot of NRE scenarios. So they're sharing the highlight reel of a person Mm -hmm. where you get to watch the rest of the football game here. (laughs) So what are some of the things which we would use to allow ourselves to feel intimidated by another person? We have, like, appearance. That's generally a common one. This person's prettier than I am. Or they have the right curves in the right places. Yeah, she's well-dressed, clearly put together, and that makes her look successful, Yeah, you know, or whatever it is. I think wealth is a big one. Wealth is a huge one. If this person is paying for all the constant dates, and then you're at home with no job, and you're like, crap, I can't afford to take my partner out. Or even if you have a job. I mean, we're not going to separate jobs. Oh, no, I'm looking at myself in sweats right now, currently not working because I'm home on medical leave. But you have a job (laughs) and you're getting paid. So even if you do have gainful employment, you might not think that you are as gainfully employed as this person. So I guess I'm trying to eliminate extreme and obvious abstracts. We both work, but I'm driving a, you know, old beat up 1999 Saturn while they roll up in their bends. Right. <laughs> so a perception of wealth. Mm-hmm. Maybe their physical stature. I know that a lot of time for male identified people that if a guy who is going to be your metamor 
seems like chiseled or built. They're super tall or, you know, they've just got this physical stature that's big and imposing. Mm -hmm. That affects guys on a level or male identified people on a level because then you're trying to compare, you know, maybe you're a little flabbier or you got that spare tire and this person looks like Jason Momoa. Well, and then you play that that game in your head with, oh, well, if that's the kind of person my partner's into, how could they possibly be into me as well? Definitely. Whereas, you know, maybe they're into everybody type and you never know. Yeah. Another aspect might be an intellectual aspect. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a PhD or three. Right. Or maybe they display this level of intelligence that... You generally don't. I know that I personally, no matter how intelligent I might be, I have grown to kind of water down my speech in ways because I've also known that people that speak with intelligence are sometimes intimidating and I don't like intimidating people. And because I spent a lot of time in Wyoming and Montana, I have speech habits that might make me seem dumber, like y'all. And I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. I love I reckon, though. That doesn't seem dumb at all. It's but cute. these are things that I didn't know that I did yeah. until you constantly point them out. <laughs> I love you. So my Wyoming ass might hear someone who, you know, has gone through college and they don't mind using their vocabulary or their intellect in a way that shows that they're smart or maybe they they are really good with computers or engineering Mm -hmm. or something like that and i'm like geez i don't have those kind of degrees intelligence is another way that someone might feel intimidated by someone else yeah absolutely and then i know the one that i've come across is like social success i've heard it from people just in friend circles and kind of acquaintances before where i can come across as intimidating and I don't think it's an intelligence thing or a social or a um, wealth status thing or anything. I think it's a social thing for me. Mm-hmm. I'm really good with people generally. I can be very warm and welcoming. I'm not shy. At first glance, you wouldn't notice that I have any shyness in me. Mm-hmm. So to somebody who's more of a wallflower, they might be intimidated by me because I can come right out and be like, hey, how's it going? What's happening? Have you met so-and-so and blah, blah, blah over here? And I don't appear to be held back by anything. Right. You're like the popular kid. You've got the charisma and, you know, you've got the ability to connect with people. And that, for someone who doesn't feel like they have that, right? that's kind of a rough truck to drive. But what's funny about that is that's all by appearance, right? Like people have this impression of me that I don't have any fear with communicating or connecting with people. But when you get to know me, my connections with people are often a little bit more shallow or surface level. It's not a deep connection because I do have fears with letting people in and connect on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. So at first glance, they're like, oh, man, she's so great at X, Y, and Z. And they're intimidated by it. When really, if they got to know me a little bit, they would see that that image is false because it's not not totally accurate. Okay, so let's talk about image versus perception then Mm -hmm. so as you were just saying they see something which isn't quite real or isn't quite accurate i guess they they create the picture in their head about it right so that's one example of image and how the image isn't the full picture Mm -hmm. you're seeing like we talked about in the beginning of this discussion 
the highlight reel of this person or you know the if if you were a car and the salesman was trying to get you off the lot they're going to point out all of your features right and so what you're seeing is you're seeing the sellable features of this person mm-hmm. right an intelligent person is you know they're showing their sellable features they can they can talk about coding all day long, <laughs> you know, a program language that you're man, like, I, I don't know what I to do. I feel dumb. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're, when you're saying that when people look at you, they see someone who's really quick and easy to connect to people and you're very socially active. Mm-hmm. But what they're not seeing is just behind that sellable feature. So maybe a very intelligent person that can talk about programming all day long might not be so good at fixing a car. Right. You know, so it's it's not that they're perfect in every way. It's that they're here, they're in public, or they're face-to-face, and they want to show you some of their sellable features. They, they're in their element, and they know their topic and their go-tos, but as soon as you get them off track of what their comfort level is, mm-hmm. then you start to see more of the real person. Yeah. I like to think of it like a superhero thing. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> so let's just say I'm Superman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now to the whole world, they're going to see that I can fly. I'm nearly invulnerable. I got x-ray vision. I got laser vision. I got this cool breath thing I can do where I breathe really hard and freeze people <laughs> super fast. Like mm-hmm. all of these amazing features that make me a superhero. Right. And so here I am, you know, I got the big S on my chest and I got my cape flowing in the wind. And your tights, don't forget the tights. Yeah, my red underwear. <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, look at this person. They're so perfect. They're just amazing. I, everyone wants to be Superman. Right. But when Superman changes back into suit and glasses and goes home to Lois Lane, she sees the human side of him, you know, and in that human side, she sees that. Sure, he could save the world and pull kittens out of a tree without a ladder, but he still struggles with picking where to eat for dinner. Right. You know? He's a little clumsy over here. Right. You know, like. And then even further, if we took this even further, Superman also has weaknesses. And Lex Luthor, the major villain, <laughs> is going to do everything he can to exploit Superman's weaknesses. He wants to look past what everyone sees, including not just the overall populace, but the people close to him. And he wants to see what those flaws are (laughs) so that he can get one up on Superman. You know, that's where the kryptonite comes Mm -hmm. in. Superman also has a susceptibility to magic Mm -hmm. and the greatest villain is going to find those weaknesses. So even Superman's not infallible. Right. So bringing that back to the metamors. (laughs) (laughs) They may seem like a super partner. Yeah. They're going to outdo you in all these ways but you just haven't really gotten to know them yet. Maybe mm-hmm. that maybe there's more to them. Yeah, let them take their cape off. Let, see them in their normal street clothes and then get to know them as people. Yeah. We're jumping ahead of ourselves, though. Another reflection and image concept here when we're talking about a metamorph that we might be intimidated by is conceptually, when we look at them and we see something amazing about them, mm-hmm. say you see them pull up in that Mercedes-Benz, mm-hmm. And you see their really nice, expensive clothing or whatever. Again, this is all conceptually. This is intimidating because you see their status level on some form. Right. And you think, I'm never going to amount to that. I'm never going to be able to match that. 
Right. I can't do that. And you look at your 99 Saturn or your, <laughs> you know, I wear t-shirts most all the time because it's comfortable and because I'm just good with them. Like, I, well, You I like your like concert them. t-shirts, your band t-shirts, right. you're a big music buff. So when I wear a t-shirt and then maybe you bring someone over that you're going to go out on a date with mm-hmm. and they're all buttoned down nice and maybe wearing dockers or slacks or something that says <laughs> I'm not just buying my jeans at the box stores. Yeah. Then that perception I'm getting is not just how great they are in theory, but also where I might feel like I'm lacking, like I'm not measuring, like this is my worry that I'm not providing this thing to you that you want. Right. And suddenly you're getting it with them. I can see it being, you know, a sense that this other person is like more powerful in some way than you are. The person is elevated to a perceived higher social status. Yeah, elevated. I liked elevated a lot. Yeah. Because that can work on whichever status that you're concerned yeah. about, whether social. it's physical or social. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. They are, that you perceive them as more elevated. And again, if this person is just showing up for dates, like they're not a long term partner yet, it could all be fake for all we know. We're making up this picture in our head. Maybe they rented that car and suit <laughs> to come pick you up and give you the impression. Yeah, like, but if they're renting it, they still have the money to do the thing. Perhaps. <laughs> but it's all perceived. It's all in our head. So then that leads me to, you know, have you ever felt intimidated by a meta? I actually, you know, I was trying to think about this before we started this discussion. And yeah, there was a meta specifically who I did feel intimidated by. Usually the physical appearance yeah. is my go-to intimidation. That's a, that's a trigger for you? I wouldn't say trigger. <laughs> eh. But it's no secret. I was shot in the face, had to go through over 30 surgeries on the face, that part of your body that most people look at first and most often. So, you know, my teeth aren't the greatest. My I'm not symmetrical. I have a lot of personal insecurities about my physical appearance. Right. And so then someone else comes along. And first off, in my head, anyone's going to be better than me because people go for symmetry. You were watching My Fair Lady last yeah. night. Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Is she the one that's like yep. the most symmetrical face in history or something yeah. like that? So obviously that's an important thing if someone's measuring the levels of symmetry. Yeah, there's images out there of like the measurement with her nose to her forehead and like her nose to her ear and the distance of her eye from her nose. Like people have done studies on her face. Well, and they don't just do studies on Audrey Hepburn's face. They're going to do studies on your face. Right. And whether we're scientists or not, how we learn how to connect with people is often how much do they look not alien or disturbing or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And because I am not symmetrical, that's automatically points against me. As soon as you said alien, I started thinking about alien resident. Resident alien? (laughs) Resident alien! Why do you always say alien resident? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But it's a new show on sci-fi that we love. And so when you're talking about like the human eye really liking this symmetrical face, for some reason I could only picture the alien talking about it. (laughs) Great. I'm not even human that anymore. That good. <laughs> but that's a legitimate case. Right. And I know that I'm not some monstrous beast that has crawled in from the sewer to devour children. <laughs> 
because I've had plenty of people tell me I'm attractive. Yes. But when a meta comes along, of course, that's going to be the thing that comes back up is they don't have the asymmetrical face and they don't look like some horror movie, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's one of the comparisons that I, even now, do. Mine is definitely a physical thing as well, but only recently, obviously, since I had gained weight. And it's not even just, oh, she's skinnier than me, but because she's skinnier than me, that means she can do these other activities that you might like that I can't do right now, such as go-karts, laser tag, zip lining, some of these things where my weight and size hold me back. So while I'm confident as shit and have no problems socially, and I can appear to kind of have it all together, deep down, I'm like, man, not only is she skinnier, right? Man, their sex is going to be better because she's smaller. They can do all these different positions that I can't do. But I have all these insecurities about maybe he's going to leave me because she can be more active than I can be. So even, you know, everybody deals with insecurities. Yeah. I'll even give you another one. The wealth thing is a big deal to me. Yeah. I'm not as financially set as I used to be. Mm -hmm. And so reclimbing that financial ladder in the ways that I'm reclimbing it sometimes makes me feel like I'm at a disadvantage. Right. I can't pay for super expensive dates and all this other stuff. And then someone comes along and you're telling me, this person wants to take me to this five-star restaurant. And after that, (laughs) we're going to go look at the skyline on top of the skyscraper and then take a private jet to (laughs) Belize. (laughs) Obviously an extreme Uh, exaggeration. That'd be be amazing. That would be amazing. I want to go to Belize. Well, if anyone wants to take Bella to Belize... (laughs) And I think that you hit the nail on the head on your example is that the real fear comes down to this person's going to come in and sweep my partner out of my life. Right. And for the wealth side of it, that's a big fear of mine. Oh, you're going to see that maybe I've hit more stumbling blocks than I should financially. And this person has obviously got their shit together because they live in this nice house and they drive these nice cars and they do all these expensive things. And you'd much rather live a life of luxury (laughs) than enjoying a full loving life with me. Of course. course. So how do you combat that? I combat them. (laughs) Physical conquest. Totally the answer to everything. (laughs) So you're feeling insecure, whether it's physically or wealth-wise, how do you deal with that insecurity and then trying to stop comparing yourself and therefore no longer being intimidated by a, a potential meta? There's actually quite a bit that goes into this. Now, when I first think about this, some aspects of polyamory might make these feelings f- seem ever present, mm-hmm. like a don't ask, don't tell, where You know that they're going out with these people, but you don't know anything about them. So all you have of them is the constructions of them that you have built in your head. Which I've kind of been in that situation with one of your past Mm -hmm. girlfriends where she just didn't want anything to do with the rest of your life. She just wasn't ready yet. Yeah, it really wasn't like a don't ask, don't tell. She just didn't want to really be part of anything yet. I didn't know anything about her except what was built in my head after meeting her one time. Right. This would also go for silo poly, where maybe you do know some about them, but the lives are kept separate intentionally. Right. 
I guess when I think about how I combat this, there's a few different steps or whatever that you might want to go about doing. One of the things which has helped me is to learn more about the meta even before I meet them. Yeah. Whatever they're comfortable sharing or whatever they share publicly. Mm -hmm. I want to get to know a little bit about their life. And I'm, I'm trying to do it from that state of compassion rather than comparison. I want to learn how to connect with them in some way. I mentioned if I'd ever been intimidated yeah. by one of your partners. The one person that I felt a little intimidated by, to me, they were attractive. They seemed to have a nice job. So they had a lot of these things that were like, well, I'm amazing in every way. <laughs> yeah. And initially, yeah, that, that put me off. I'm like, well, geez, now I'm going to have to fight for her or lose her, you know. But I didn't want to do it that way. So I tried to learn some about him in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I ended up learning a couple of things he was interested in. And I also shared those interests. And so it kind of took away from the the fog or the illusion of perfection and showed we aren't that much different. Right. And we can connect in some way, even if it's over just these things. So I allowed myself to humanize him mm -hmm. in the way that allowed me to see that he's just a person just like me. Right. I know that always helps me. And again, that tends to be more of the kitchen table poly side of things where people start to get to know each other a little mm -hmm. better. So we understand that not everyone wants to know their meta. But for those that are game, like this is really helpful to try and find things that you do connect on. And maybe you don't connect on anything, but you both like summertime, you know, or something like that. Or you can even just appreciate the goodness of them but based on their actions. Yeah. But I, I do think even if you don't hang out with the people on a regular basis, finding a way to connect emotionally to them mm -hmm. is helpful. And that's, I guess, where I'm going with that is, is learn a little bit about them ahead of time so that you can start getting rid of those comparison feelings and start using those compassion feelings Yeah. so that you can, you can humanize them and you can not see them as a threat or an apex predator or something. But just as another person wanting to live the best life they can. Right. If you're encountering them, then I would say that you want to try to mentally prepare ahead of time. You know, try to remember some of the things that you thought were good qualities of them without thinking about the qualities that would wash over your own. Right. Right. Don't just think about, oh, they save bunnies for humanity and, you know, like <laughs> find the things about them that make them human enough in your eyes and shows their good qualities, but still keeps them relatable. Right. So then you want, once you're mentally prepared ahead of time to deal with them, then when they show up, it doesn't feel like quite such a shock. Yeah. And then kind of plan out what you want to say. If you're thinking about, oh, they're going to show up at the door and you're going to have a conversation and you're going to be stuck talking about whatever they want to talk about. While I'm not saying to dominate the conversation, I am saying that if a conversation comes up that you're not ready to talk about or you're not comfortable with, have something in the wings waiting for maybe a way to change the subject to something that you can discuss more. Yeah. If they're going to talk about programming and you don't want to <laughs> feel stupid, acknowledge what they do and listen to, you know, some of the, because they're passionate about right. it, listen to it. But if you start feeling like you're stuck or feeling stupid, change it to something that you could also talk about or relate it to something in your life, in your own way 
that allows you to show your side to them as well. Right. Like for me, I don't have kids. I don't have mm-hmm. kids of my own. When we get friends together and everyone starts talking about all their parenting stuff, I often feel like I'm left out. I have nothing to contribute. I have no experience here. And then I'm like, that's fine. I'll go play with the dog. And you guys just <laughs> have your conversation about parenting troubles. Yeah. But more recent years, because I'm so involved in your life, while I don't parent your children, they're all grown ass adults. You do have three grandkids. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to, and again, I don't parent them, but I can understand. I've watched your kids bottle feed them and I've watched them temper tantrums and change diapers and watched as, you know, four, five and six years old, you know, start happening and, you know, fights on the playground and you pushed my kid and all these things. So now I can kind of piece together some parts of these conversations. I can be like, oh, yeah, I remember when grandson blah, blah, blah did this thing. Um, And I can find ways to get into the conversation a little bit. And then looking back, I can remember being really intimidated coming over to your house early on and stepping into your and your wife's home, right? And again, you guys have been together 20 years. That alone is intimidating. And, you know, she'd be in the kitchen cooking. You and her would be in the kitchen cooking. And I'd be sitting on a stool at the counter just kind of watching you guys and talking with you guys. I would often have topics of discussion that I knew that I could speak on or speak about like her and I had talked or texted rather like over messenger. I knew she was into poker or I knew what kind of movies or that you guys were into horror, you know, certain things where if the conversation went one way where I was like, I don't know how to talk about D and D. I don't know anything about this gaming stuff. Let's bring it back this way because haha, I can talk about this. Right. So there were ways for me to connect with my building a relationship with my new meta And I had them kind of in my back pocket, ready to come out if the conversation went a different direction. Yeah. And then on top of learning like what to say or or planning ahead on the conversations, also be aware of your body language. Mm -hmm. I know that oftentimes when people feel insecure or out of their element, they shrink. They'll fold their arms, they'll slouch more. They're not going to feel as comfortable. They're going to seem rigid. And actively paying attention to your physical movement Mm -hmm. will help you learn how to open up and broaden back up and be present. Right. Your physical presence is a lot of your body language. And this isn't easy to do. Like, this is not going to be something where your meta comes over for the first time. This is your first meta ever. (laughs) And you're just going to like puff up, right? Like, yeah. Please don't. <laughs> this is a great way... To scare a meta? <laughs> no. Learning your body language is a great way to communicate. And you don't want to learn it all at once right at the, the moment of truth. Take some time in your daily life, whether you're at work or ordering food at the restaurant or whatever it is that you're doing, to also pay attention to your body language. Yeah. It will tell you a lot of what you're feeling And it will, more importantly, tell other people a lot of what you're feeling. So if you can learn to communicate differently with your body language, you'll be able to project that communication out in ways which you're also being heard in a nonverbal way by other people. And then so when you get to the point with your metamor, instead of cowering and shrinking and making them feel like, geez, what did I do? You can be more welcoming and be more open 
allow yourself to exude your confidence in a physical way, even if you don't have much, you still have some. Yeah, I mean, if you're standing off in the corner with your arms crossed, you know, across your chest, you're not going to be very approachable to a new meta who's trying to talk and connect to you. You're going to give kind of a fuck off impression. And then they're going to be standoffish, and then it's going to be like, I don't understand what's happening, and you're both going to kind of intimidate each other. Right, and I've actually had that happen quite a bit, where I'm meeting someone new. I want to connect. I love connecting with people. Yeah. I'm not the greatest at it. I can admit that. Oftentimes, I try. And especially when we would host polygroups, meetups. Yeah. We would invite people in, so people can get to know each other. And as hosts... You know, we'd we'd go around and we'd try to make everyone feel welcome and mm-hmm. comfortable and and maybe help people make connections and stuff. There were so many times that and in my personal life where I'd go to meet someone, I'd go to try to talk to them and because they're nervous or they're, you know, and no judgments, like we all get that way. Yeah. The intimidated feel that they have projects to us who are trying to connect with them that they're not interested in communicating and They don't want to know you. And sometimes we can take that personally. So in your scenario with the person in the corner with their shoulders crossed and the meta is trying to get to know them, but they can't get out of their own shell. Right. The meta is going to leave thinking, geez, what did I do wrong? Why does that person already hate me? Right. And that's already going to spark kind of this weird tension in the meta relationship. Yep. It's not easy to overcome, but learning how to get through those your meta, if you changed your stance a little bit, uh, didn't cross your arms or reached out to shake a hand or, you know, something like that, then the meta might feel more comfortable with you and feel more inclined to want to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. And none of this is like a magic overnight thing. It takes a lot no. of practice and you'll probably mess up a few meta relationships that you'll have to mend and come back to. But over time, it'll get easier. Yeah. Another thing that I've done in the past is tried to focus on the meta themselves. Like, get out of my own head. Quit personalizing everything and go into this way with an open mind or what I've always said in martial arts, a beginner's mind. Right. If you have a beginner's mind, you're always trying to learn. So, go into a meta relationship, a meta encounter with a beginner's mind. Try to learn who they are. Try to learn what makes them tick. Listen to their feelings, watch well, their body language. And even just thinking about being in their shoes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd come into your house, you and your wife and your kids live there, coming in, thinking about how she might feel with this new girlfriend coming into her home. Put yourself in their shoes. What do yeah. you think they might feel? Is she going to feel intimidated or nervous or scared or unsure and... Maybe you try to calm some of those emotions. Maybe you're just aware of them so you don't breed more of them and then they can work on what they're feeling. But really just thinking about where the other is coming from Mm -hmm. can go a long way in helping too. Yeah, definitely. I guess one of the other things that I would do is give them multiple opportunities. First impressions are a big deal, but they're not the only deal. Right. Sometimes you need more exposure to learn more. I mean, almost always. And so give them more than just their first impression. Give them multiple chances to see who they are, to show who they are. You know, if if you're going to judge someone or make your decision about someone based on their single first impression, 
they also didn't get the chance to know you right. and to relate to you. And you got to be able to, if, if you want to open your world to metamors, you've got to be able to really open your world to metamors. Mm, absolutely. You've got to let them in. You've got to give them the opportunity to be able to let you in. We all have walls. We all have barriers. It's the the best face that we give versus the normal face we give and every single bit in between. Give us a chance to get through those onion layers. Yeah, and if you're feeling insecure and intimidated, I bet you they are too. Yeah. So even just having honest, open discussions about it and being like, hey, it was really great to meet you. I'm glad you're so much nicer than I was anticipating because I was really nervous that you'd be intimidating yeah. or something. And I bet you you'll have a laugh about it. Yeah. Well, and that brings about another interesting point that I didn't really think about hmm. is perhaps if a metamorph seems intimidating. Mm-hmm. If you think about this, if they're walking into your home, say you and I, we live here together, yep. and you have a date coming over, he knows you live with me, he's coming into my home, mm -hmm. well, he's of course going to have his own little defenses and going to need to feel like they need to project a certain way. Right. So when this person comes into the home, they're going to want to, you know, either be a little imposing or defend themselves Make against their whatever. known. Right. So when you're thinking about a metamorph coming into your own space, realize that they're probably feeling the high stakes game a little bit more than you. Yeah. You and I already have something established. We, we cohabitate. Whoever you bring into our home, they are going to feel like the visitor you know, in, yeah. in a, I'm not a sports ball person, <laughs> but if you think about it, I mean, like even people who don't listen to sports ball know that there's home games and away games. There's home field advantage. Right. Yep. They're coming into your home game, your home field advantage. They're the visitor. Their chances of loss supposedly are higher. Yep. And this really kind of brings up the opposite side of this. What we've talked about through this entire discussion is how you might feel intimidated by a metamorph who doesn't understand that they're being intimidated. Right. So if we flip over into different shoes, what about when you're the metamorph who other people are intimidated by? And you're not meaning to be intimidating, but you're finding that people are intimidated by you. Well, I've had that. I've had that before. So like I remember with one of your other partners, she was really intimidated by me. We found out later it was more of a social thing, right? Like we'd go to the adult clubs and everybody knew who I was and I knew who everybody was and I was introducing you guys left and right. And then, you know, it became a lot of, oh, you're so-and-so's partner, you're so-and-so's meta, instead of people really getting to know her because it was all connected to me and my social status. Or, you know, my body and the way I carried myself. And while I'm a big girl, I didn't have any issue, body issues that I was dealing with, you know. Maybe my boobs were bigger. They're full of fat, but, you know, whatever. Well, that's all boobs. I know. <laughs> but it became a thing where she felt a little intimidated by it. Right. And I wasn't doing anything on purpose. I was just being me. But again, I found out later that this was intimidating behavior for her. So I was so wrapped up in my world and that I wasn't really paying attention to how my behavior might impact my new meta, my new friends. Right. right. And I remember, you know, even going to the clubs where 
you know, these are adult clubs. You're going to try to wear sexy stuff for the sake of wearing sexy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you'd, you'd often wear things that accentuated your already round, round butt. <laughs> and people would love to just smack it. Yeah. You know, and so you were getting a lot of attention from people because you were confident and you were wearing the things and giving the consent and all of mm-hmm. these things. And I think one thing that was unspoken at that time in the concept of, oh, here's Bella doing all these amazing things. These people already knew you. Right. And someone knew they're not going to give that kind of attention to because, again, consent. Yeah. Right? And so in that sense, the perception was that you're this golden prize ticket that everyone wants to have. Right. I know people put the label on me a few times and it was so annoying but it was, you know, Bella, the poly queen over there at the club. <laughs> now, I had had a handful of poly relationships, none of which I'd think I'd label as successful. But I had been doing this, you know, about a decade, almost a decade. And I've been on many sides of the poly spectrum and dynamics and all these things. And I have a lot of knowledge on it, a lot of book smarts mm-hmm. on the topic, so to speak. But my experience wasn't always the best. You know, I was getting mixed up in bad situations. So to an outsider, I looked like I had all the answers and I knew all the ways. Let me show you the way. Yeah. But it wasn't always the case. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, because I know that I come across as intimidating to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like I've gotten that at work. You know, I've gotten it in relationships, social environments. First off... I don't look like I smile ever. (laughs) It's not because I don't. Like, I really am smiling to the best of my ability. But as I will reference earlier in this discussion, I was shot in the face. A lot of my nerves are dead. So I have, I guess, a resting bitch face. Wait, we've never, ever discussed this in the entirety of our relationship. But if the nerves are dead, does that mean I could slap you hard and you wouldn't even feel it? You could try. (laughs) It just dawned on me. (laughs) Everyone is free to do what they want to do, but you're not free from the consequences of your actions. Because, like, the angle we're sitting at, I can see your scar on this side of your jawline. Yeah. And I'm like, well, maybe that's where the dead nerves are. Right. So, anyway. Sorry. (laughs) Sidelined. Oh, that was an interesting thought, though. Yeah, we can talk about that off air. Okay. But because of that, it looks like I never smile. Because I'm over 50% non-expressive. Right. Due to physical damage. Also, tattoos come into a big play. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of tattoos. And a lot of societal judgments on people with tattoos makes that judgment that they're intimidating and scary. Like, I do a lot of things in my life that I enjoy. The heavy metal music or, you know, darker art, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of people are intimidated by me. And Your I'm t-shirts confident. might say that they're soul-sucking, you know? I don't know that I've ever worn a soul-sucking. T- yeah. Oh, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. like the death metal bands, the shirts that I wear that have graphic images. Yeah, and there's, stuff. Even, there's even one that you have that says something about sucking their soul 
It's one of the like funny cartoony looking ones. It's a newer one. Oh, it's the, the, like the kids playing. It yeah. looks like a 70s Dick and Jane book. Yeah. But then it's like, let's sacrifice something or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So some of the clothes can be intimidating too. Mm-hmm. And it's also the confidence. Like, I feel confident with who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, because I don't want to be intimidating, I'm attempting to be forward and friendly. And, and I will go out of my way to introduce myself. And sometimes that in itself is intimidating. Right. So I've gotten the intimidation thing a lot. No matter how hard I try to curb it. Yeah. It seems to be ever-present. Well, see, that's a new thing for me. I've never been told I was intimidating. So that's kind of like, oh, but I mean, looking back, like I was always captain of the sports teams. And so I wonder if there was a level of intimidation that was always there that people just didn't say. Like, I, it makes me wonder and have to go, I'd have to go back to like high school people and be like, was I ever intimidated? Well, you don't even have to ask that. I mean, really what it is psychologically, mm-hmm. people don't want to tell you they're intimidated by you. They're too intimidated to say this. <laughs> That's where a lot of body language comes in. If they seem to shrink around you, yeah. for some reason, they're intimidated by you. Yeah. Or they just don't like you and don't want to be around you. That's also <laughs> a possibility. Fuck off. <laughs> but the intimidation thing, it's not often spoken of because people don't want to reveal that more vulnerable side of themselves. Because yeah. if they're trying to defend against you already, they don't want to open up their armor so that you can see their exposed chest, right? right? So... You're not going to hear a lot about who's intimidated by who unless you can learn to have open and honest communication where you're feeling comfortable enough to be vulnerable to someone else. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in conclusion, yeah, getting to know your meta on a more than surface level will help. Mm-hmm. Putting yourself in their shoes, trying to understand where they're coming from and how they might be feeling in the same situation. Yeah. That would also help. Yeah. We're trying to be as successful as we can on this polyamorous journey. Right. And one of the things that has often caused the biggest roadblocks is not our interest in other people, but our partner's interest in Mm -hmm. other people. Definitely. And in our fears around their interest in other people. So if we can learn those other people in a way that we might learn a new friend. Mm Mm-hmm then this is going to be one of the best ways to overcome this roadblock and to no longer feel the intensity of this feeling of intimidation or insecurity. Yeah. And again, we'll, we always go back to drilling down where that insecurity is coming from. If you can figure out why you're feeling a certain way, where it's coming from, then you can figure out how to address it moving forward. And if you can work on that insecurity, compare a little bit less and get to know the person, I think you've got a pretty good recipe for success in overcoming intimidation yeah use your compassion over your comparison definitely and remember it's a two-way street you may want to do your utmost to open up to a metamor and to learn to get to know this metamor but that metamor has to also want to be in that same place right otherwise they're just going to be this isolated anomaly in your existence You can learn to get to know them, but you also have to be willing to let them get to know you. Yep. This would all be a great way to help overcome that roadblock and help us move on. Definitely. I think I need to go remove some of these bandages. A little itchy. Yeah. Itchy, itchy. 
Well, I think that does it for this discussion then. Definitely. Polly and Pam. We will see you next Tuesday. Bye now. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsada. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepoly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And and love love without without limits. limits.